I'm Aurora Barrett, and tonight's Bible reading comes from Matthew 7, verses 21 to 23. False and true disciples. For not everyone says to me, Lord, Lord, and enters the kingdom of heaven, but only the ones who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you turn, you evil doers. This is the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thanks so much, Aurora. Well, welcome once again and thank you for joining us and uh, I just want to say thank you to those of you who have been praying for me. Um, it has been an interesting week but um, after the time of rest and that I've had for a few days um, I have been able to get a little bit better uh, but I do ask that you continue to pray for a full recovery and uh, hopefully uh, I'll be over this soon and things can get back to relative normality. So uh, tonight we are continuing our series uh, in Matthew and uh, the section that we're looking at at the moment is what is called the Sermon on the Mount. And um, the words we had read to us tonight by Aurora are actually quite shocking. They're direct and they're blunt. They're very pointed. And these words are spoken by the only man who could fully understand the gravity the seriousness and the consequences of mankind's sin. He knew the wages of sin is death and he knew that unless the penalty of our sins could be fully paid, we would be lost to him and his father for all of eternity. He ultimately knew the plan of his father. He was in complete agreement with that plan and so he left his throne in glory and he came to this earth to pay that debt for you and for me and if we keep this in mind as we look at this passage of scripture it adds to the seriousness and sincerity of the words that are being said that Jesus speaks he's not mucking around he's not pulling any punches and those he's speaking to are those who are under the condemnation of death he's preaching as the one who'll soon rescue them He's about to die in their place on the cross. But he's speaking to his followers. He's speaking to his disciples. And remember that he told them way back in 5.20 that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And those who were listening found it very hard to believe that anyone could be more righteous than the scribes and Pharisees. These are the guys, the teachers and defenders of the scriptures and God's law. So who could be righteous enough to get to heaven? And Jesus has said, quite simply, no one can do it. No one can actually get into heaven as long as they're looking to their own righteousness and their own strength, their own efforts in order to do so. But there is a way. And Jesus has said in the Beatitudes that those who come to God in a poverty of spirit, mourning and grieving over their sin, they meekly seek God and his favour. 
And Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. These are the ones who are determined to follow Jesus regardless of the cost. They are determined to enter by the narrow gate and walk on the narrow path which leads to life and to forsake the wide, broad, attractive way which leads to destruction. These are the wise who hear his voice and follow him in obedience because he is the one who speaks with authority. And it is with this same authority that he speaks in our passage tonight. It is one of the most serious words of warning we will ever receive and is given by the one who will ultimately be the judge of all. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you first and foremost that you're a good God. And I thank you, Lord, that you provided a way for us when there was no way. When I couldn't help myself, you understood that, Lord. And from your great love, from your great mercy, you allowed Jesus to come and die in my place. And so tonight, Lord, as we look at this passage of Scripture, I just ask you to speak. Let people hear your voice. Let them respond to you. This never has been, never will be about me. This is always about you, Lord. Do your work, I pray. Amen. I think as we move through this, we need to realise that Jesus is not speaking to unbelievers here. He's speaking to those who say they're following him. He's speaking to his disciples. And that's what we're told back in 5.1, that he's speaking to his disciples. But Jesus reveals that some of them have a Christology, but not as we know it. Now, I don't know if you even know what that means, but when you go along to Bible college, they teach you all these words ending in ology, which I suppose is supposed to make you sound smarter. And one of them is Christology. And this is really the study and nature of God, but in particular relating to belief and the person and the nature and role of Jesus Christ. So what I'm actually saying here is that these people had a belief in Jesus to a point. And look at how Jesus says they speak. They say, Lord, Lord. And that's how these people address Jesus. And that seems a little bit weird to repeat, Lord, Lord. But the term used here is the Greek title of great honour, which basically means master. And it's possibly the equivalent of the title sir, as we use it correctly. I know a lot of you call me sir, but you say it sort of sarcastically. But when we use the title sir in our language, it's that type of honour that we give people who have a status within our communities as being greatly honoured. But there are overtones of deity here too. When the Old Testament name Yahweh was translated into the Greek, uh, they used the word Lord, this same word. And so these people are using the correct term for Jesus and the duality indicates that they are fervent for him. They have this passion, they have this desire. So all of this seems correct and it appears right for them to address Jesus this way. They appear to acknowledge him as Lord and also as God. For this profession of Jesus, even that Jesus is God, is not enough to save. These are people who may well believe everything that is said about faith in Scripture. They may be sincere, good people. But saying you know Jesus is not enough. He says in James 2.19, 
You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. We're told even the demons believe, and that's repeated in Scripture. But when we think about what is said here, I wonder, does our knowledge of Jesus cause us to shudder or tremble ever? When we think of him as he is now, enthroned in glory, do do we shudder and tremble when we think about the way we conduct ourselves before him, when we think of our sin? I, I, I keep repeating about John on the Isle of Patmos and this guy who dearly loved the Lord Jesus Christ and he sees Christ glorified and I have an image in my head where to be like well John would just run to him and throw his arms around him surely but he sees the glorified Christ and he goes face first onto the ground he's as if he is a dead man trembling in Jesus glorified presence he's enthroned in glory all powerful almighty seated at the right hand of God He's above all, in all, through all. And it's appropriate, so appropriate that we shudder in his presence in light of our sin. And when these demons think of him, they shudder. They even confess him as the son of God. They cried, what have you to do with us, O son of God? And what they profess is 100% correct. But what they say is not enough to save them. It's about accepting who he claims to be, acknowledging him as our Lord and Saviour, and allowing Him, by power of Holy Spirit, to transform our lives. And we're called to be doers of the Word, not just hearers, so we're not deceiving ourselves. We're called to hear Jesus' words and do them. And if we do, we'll be like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And there is this expectation that we'll take up our cross daily and follow him. It is God's will that we believe in the Son in such a way that we put to death our old self constantly, continuously, and no longer live for ourselves, but live for Jesus. It's a new life in Christ, being born again, that is evidence of our eternal life. God commands that we surrender ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus and out of obedience to him and his word, genuinely serve him. But this is not the case with the people that Jesus is speaking to and those he is speaking about. They're depending solely upon their profession. The profession is verbal. It's not moral. It concerned their lips only and not their life. There was declaration without true transformation. And it says that on that day they'll say to him, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? They addressed Jesus the way that they should, but it's soon obvious that they did not know him as Lord while on this earth. These are people who have the appearance of being followers of Jesus, but listen to their defense. It seems that they point out to Jesus their wisdom. They prophesied in Jesus' name. And prophecy is the proclamation of God's word. These men and women knew the word of God. Perhaps they even memorized large chunks of it. But even if they hadn't, they were proclaiming his word. They read it and they knew it. But the sad thing is, they didn't know the living word, Jesus Christ. And they appealed to the works that they've done. They cast out demons and did mighty works. 
Or if you prefer, they performed miracles. They did great things, amazing things. And so we're told that it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not of yourself is the gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast. And what we do, everything we do, all our works should point to Jesus. It should have nothing to do with us. We should never be able to claim that we did something. These people seem to have got things messed up where they believe that what they did, the good lives that they lived, the way that they served Jesus was adequate for them to get into the kingdom of God. But Jesus says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, I know that there's people sitting here, there's people online who says, that's ridiculous. I do tons of things without Jesus. And of course, that is true. So Jesus is talking about an eternal perspective here. He's talking about the things that really count and matter, the things that really last. These people were busy. They were involved in ministry. And it was ministry that was noticed. Great miracles, casting out demons, proclaiming God's word. They're the types of things that get noticed. In fact... They may even be able to say that they were so busy ministering for the Lord that they didn't actually have time to get to Jesus. They didn't have time to make him a priority in their life. And Jesus says, his words, not my words, apart from me, you can do nothing. And Jesus often speaks with eternity in mind and that's exactly what he's talking about here. We can be very busy on this earth but if what we do is not in submission and obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ, then what we do is in vain. There is no eternal reward for it. We're doing it for ourselves. We're doing it for our own gain. Nothing we do will benefit us in all of eternity if it is not motivated from our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. But that's part of what they say. They say that they did all of this in Jesus' name. They prophesied in Jesus' name. They cast out demons in Jesus' name. They did mighty works in Jesus' name. Three times they said this in this little section that Jesus recounts. They appeal to Jesus and say, this was all for you. This was all in your name. It had nothing to do with us. And so these are people who would appear to have a right relationship with God, but their hearts were far from him. Think about the things that are done in the name of Jesus or in the name of religion in our day and age now. I believe there's many who drag Jesus' name through the mud and they declare a word from God or they declare themselves to have a position of authority or they declare that they've been appointed by God uh, for a particular purpose. But it's also that they fulfill their selfish ambitions it's also that they can have this status or position that they've always wanted. It's so that they can be acknowledged. And some even distort the truth of Scripture for their own profit or gain. And I'm sure you can think of some of those who proclaim a prosperity doctrine in order to do exactly that. There are others who want people bound up in legalism who are more concerned about nitpicking and browbeating people than seeing them realise the true freedom, love, joy and grace that they can experience in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so much that is done in the name of Jesus 
has absolutely nothing to do with him. Nothing at all. His will or his word. But one day, as this passage says, there'll come a time for Jesus' confession. These people that he's talking about were doing great things. They were preaching, they were casting out demons, they were performing miracles, all of it in Jesus' name. And they declare it for him and his cause. Their expectation is because of all this, they'll be allowed entry into the kingdom of heaven. But then Jesus says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. They used Jesus' name freely, but they weren't known by Jesus. They knew, he knew all that they did. He knew their religious practices. But when he says he never knew them, he's saying he never had a relationship with them. He never counted them as his own. They never belonged to him. And so he never approved of their actions or their conduct. And Jesus says, at no time, at no time did you believe in me. At no time did you truly love me. At no time were you my people. But I saw you preaching. I saw you at the table taking communion. I saw you celebrating the blood I poured out. I saw you acknowledging my sacrifice. I saw you marvel at my resurrection. But none of it was real. None of it was really about me. And so Jesus says, Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This is Jesus, the judge, pronouncing his final word for these people. There's no going back at this stage. This is the end. There's no other answer. It's banishment from his presence. Think about that. There's nothing more terrible that there's no greater horror than what we've just said. It's the very presence of Jesus that makes heaven. And we know that when we're with him in glory, he, he's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. There's going to be no more death. There's not going to be any more mourning. There's not going to be any crying. There's not going to be any more heartache. There's not going to be any pain. All of that's going to be gone. And we're going to be standing in the very presence of Jesus. There's going to, not going to be any need for light because Jesus himself will be the light of heaven. And just like it's, it's the very presence of Jesus that makes heaven, it's his very absence that makes hell. A place of unquenchable fire. A place of remorse, a place of thirst, a place of misery and pain, a place of frustration and anger, a place of endless separation, a place of divine wrath. I believe Jesus desires that not one be lost. It says that in Scripture. And we have the sheep, we have the, the stories of the sheep in Scripture where uh, he had the 99, but he wandered off to get the one. 
I believe Jesus still does that today and I believe his desire is that everyone come into the kingdom. His desire is that one will be lost and that's why he had his prophets that come to earth. That's why he himself come to earth to die in our place. That's why he still has people who proclaim his word. That's why he calls us to be his disciples so we can draw others into the kingdom. And I stand here before you tonight and I cannot possibly know where you are with God. I, I cannot know. There's some of you that I delight in what I see God doing in you and I'm assuming you have this relationship with him but it's very easy to fool me and it's very easy to fool others. And so I, I, think, I think tonight there's a call for each and every one of us to ask some questions. And, and this isn't just to answer to me. This isn't just, well, Charlie's bumping his gums again. These are questions that you should ask yourself because I don't want you to stand in his presence in glory and be told. Depart from me because I never knew you. And so the question is, Where do you stand with the Lord? Do you think you are saved? And do you believe that you're going to go to heaven when you die? And if the answer to that is yes, then what are you basing that on? What, what, what is the foundation of that? Romans 5, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through Him, We've also obtained access to faith into his grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. This is it in a nutshell. Faith alone, through Christ alone, by grace alone, for the glory of God alone. No other reason. Is that what you stand upon? Is that what you believe? And I ask you to continue to think this through. On the night when Jesus was betrayed... He sat in an upper room with his 12 closest disciples and he, he had a meal with them and he shared with them. And these are the guys who were closest to him. They appeared to be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, 100% sold out for him. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me tonight. And you know what they didn't do? They didn't point across the room. They didn't say, Jesus, get a life. They didn't say, why are you saying this? Each and every one of them said, Lord, could it be me? And that's what I'm asking you to do tonight. I think that's what Jesus is asking you to do tonight. This isn't about denying. This isn't about pointing the finger. This isn't about looking at others. This is about saying, Lord, could this be me? Because the consequences of not making the right decision, the consequences of not being right with the Lord Jesus Christ are eternally damning. And it's not where you want to go. I, I, I dread, I shudder at the thought of standing in glory one day and realizing there's people that are sitting here tonight, sitting at home, who aren't there with me. How can that happen? We can't let it happen. One by one, the disciples asked, is it I, Lord? And they knew the potential they had towards evil. Are you willing to ask tonight, is this me, Lord? Is this I? You know what? I think it's better to suffer a little embarrassment 
a little awkwardness now. Instead of standing before Jesus on that day and hearing him say, Depart from me, I never knew you. You may be someone who has just realized that you haven't really ever made that first step to the Lord Jesus Christ. You've never actually asked him to be your Lord and Savior. You've never got to a point where you needed to confess your sin or didn't realize you had to. I'm going to give you an opportunity pretty soon. But you may be someone who perhaps took that first step, who, who said that prayer, and, and you asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, but that was it. You didn't go anywhere else with that. And, and so we are called in Scripture to obey and follow Him. And, and maybe you realize tonight you haven't done that. But if we were to ask you, you'd possibly say, yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian, I follow Jesus. But in your heart of hearts, you know that's not true. And Jesus says in Luke 6:46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? And so if you found yourself in a position where you're not obeying Jesus, where you're not doing what he's telling you to do, I, I think he's talking to you tonight too. Tonight is the night, and Jesus is calling. And I, I'm just asking you, don't deny him. Don't, don't leave tonight without dealing with this. If you have any doubts about your salvation, any doubts whatsoever, can I encourage you to take a step tonight? Can I encourage you to take that step which will save you from a terrible eternal future? A future where you'll be separated from Jesus forever. In fact, it's not just Jesus you'll be separated from. You'll be separated from all things good. There will be nothing good in your eternity. He calls us to choose between obedience and disobedience. And the call to obedience involves unconditional submission of our mind, will, and life. Our eternal destiny, our eternal destiny depends on our ongoing obedience to Him. Jesus is constantly calling. And He's calling you tonight. Will you come? That's the question. I'm just going to invite the worship team up here. They're going to start playing just on the keys. And I'm going to give you an opportunity tonight. We don't, we don't do this at SDBC, but I, I just think we've got to start getting serious about what we're doing. We've got to start getting serious about our relationship with Jesus. We've got to realize sometimes we've got to do some things that may be a little bit embarrassing, may be a little bit confronting. But quite frankly... Who cares? We're talking about eternity. We're talking about your life with Jesus. And so as these guys begin to play, I'm just going to ask you, you've never heard me say, bow your head, close your eyes to pray. I don't believe you need to. But I'm going to ask you to bow your heads now. I don't want you seeing what's going on in the auditorium. So if each of us can just bow our heads, close our eyes. I don't want you to think about those who are around you. I don't want you to think about those who may hear or see what you're doing. But if you're one of those people who've never made a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ before, if you've never made that initial first step, I just want you to raise your hands. I just want you to put your hand up if that's you tonight. There's no judgment. There's going to be no rebuking here this evening. We'll just celebrate that you've made that step to spend time with Jesus. Not just now, but for all of eternity. So I ask you just to raise your hand. Perhaps you're one of those people who took that initial step and 
you know that you're not living in obedience to Jesus. You know there's things that you should have done, but you haven't actually done that. And perhaps Holy Spirit, perhaps Jesus is speaking to you tonight. If that's you, again, I just ask you to raise your hand. Just put it straight up, straight back down. Thank you. I see that hand. Thank you. Anyone else? This is between you and Jesus. No one else needs to know. This is a step saying, Jesus, yes, I'll do what you call me to do. I'll follow you in obedience. Just put your hand straight up, straight down. Just tell the Lord that this week you're going to live for him. You're going to follow him as you should. We won't delay. Just a little bit longer. If that's you, if Jesus is speaking to you, please raise your hand. Father God, I thank you that you are an incredible God and I thank you for those who've raised their hands this evening. I thank you, Lord, for the commitment that they've made to you this evening. And Lord, I just ask that you'll hound them. I ask that you'll be on their case, Lord. I ask that you'll call them to times of grace and beauty and love with you, Lord, where they'll just delve into your word and they'll know what you're calling them to do and that they'll give themselves up for you and your purposes, Lord that they'll just want to live for you from this day forward. I pray, Lord, that they'll give us opportunities to encourage and strengthen them in their walk. I pray, Lord, that we'll be able to come alongside them and build them up in the faith. But, Lord, for us as a people, Lord, we so desperately need you. Help us not to become like Laodicea. Help us not to be happy with where we are. Help us to want more. Help us to desire you. Help us to pursue you. And let us be a transformed people, a people who show your love, grace and glory to those around us. Lord, this church, these people are your people. Call us to your side and call us further on with you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.